afternoon, good morning, good night, depending on the time you're watching this, because as you know, in Spain, in Spain, in the peninsula at least, it's uh, 5 p.m. Then in the Canary Islands is 4 p.m. Then in the west coast, in the east coast of the U.S. is uh, noon, 9 a.m. in the west coast, and a lot of different places that I don't know the times of. So I apologize. I don't know everything, everybody, every single time in the world. You can tell me in the in the in the comments. Uh, we are time traveling now, as you know, because you know this is not about comics. It's about quantum physics. Right now, for me, it's 5 p.m. For our guest, it's 9 a.m. We move all the way around. And I have to thank my guest, Mr. Stan Sakai, for being here so early. So thank you so much. Thank you, David. And it is um, 9 a.m. for me. 9 a.m. How is things how is, how's things for you guys in, uh, in the U.S. right now? Is getting better the situation with the pandemic? Everything is still crazy? How's, how's things looking? It's still crazy. It goes up and down. People say, oh, it's getting better. But then, so they kind of relax. And then it gets worse. <laughs> so it keeps going that way. I mean, it gets better. It gets worse. Things open up. Stores are open. Restaurants are open. Restaurants close. Stores are closed. It, up and down. Yeah, it's the same thing here. You know, every time that every time they say, "Oh, things are getting a, a bit better," you know, people goes crazy and they just like, "Let's go out." And you're like, "No, no, no!" They said better. They didn't say fixed. <laughs> they said better. Relax. No, but we can go out. You know, and we are sunny here all the time, so mm-hmm. that makes it even worse to stop them. Um, right, right. Imagine, imagine. Okay, my name is Victor Frankenstein. I'm your doctor. I just changed my name. This rotating pen is my swing shop. I just popped a couple. Shots into you and the rest of the world. You know, I'm like Jim Carrey now. So, boom, I just cured the world. So, what is the thing that you've been dying to do for the last year that you've, you know, you've been stopping yourself because of the pandemic? But the first thing you could do the moment they tell you you're free and everything is okay. Oh, I love to travel. I haven't traveled um, extensively for the past year now. Uh, conventions have all been closed. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con was closed last year, and they announced that it will close again this year for 2021. Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss seeing the fans. I miss talking to people. Other than that, uh, because I work at home, <laughs> I mean, it's not that big a difference for me anyway. Mm-hmm. I go to work in the studio. I, you know, do everything else. It's... Um, I talk to my friend, Serge Aragonez, uh, about once a week. And he says, yeah, he hasn't left the house for about a year now. And it's still the same as usual for him. And I think for freelancers, artists like myself and Sergio, mm-hmm. it uh, hasn't had that big an impact because we don't go off to work, away from home to go to work. So great. Do, you miss, do you miss conventions at all? And if you miss them, is it because of the contact with fans, with the possibility to see the peers that you see once or twice a year, or a little bit of everything? I do miss the conventions. I miss the fans. I like the interaction with the readers. I also miss seeing um, other professionals, talking to them. Uh, you know, we're all comic book fans. Yeah. So I love seeing people, uh, you know, people I look up to, Walter Simonson, or just see my good friend Sergio, or uh, talk to my publishers or, you know, that type of thing, meeting people. Yeah. And over the years, we've gotten to know a lot of the readers, Usagi readers, quite well. So 
they also they become friends. I miss seeing them as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know that, that part about. Uh, I was talking to to a friend to another guest the other day, and we were talking about you go to a convention for many years, mm-hmm. and now that at that moment of the year, you know who to expect in terms of the fans. You know that that fan that has become a friend that goes and first thing you are you ask him when you see him or her is hey how's the family and you just start talking about about personal stuff because mm-hmm. it's been 20 years and that's the part mm-hmm. I, pro- yeah. I probably miss the most you know seeing the, I know I go to Madrid Barcelona New York San Diego I'm not going to see certain people that I only see there exactly I have been going to the San Diego Comic Con for more than 40 years now and there are people that uh I met when I first started going that I see every year or I used to see every year. <laughs> but uh, so we, you know, grown attached. It's people that you look forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really miss interacting with uh, friends and fans and uh, other professionals. What, what is the, has it changed for you in terms of the, I mean, with the pandemic? Do you real? Do you feel that you you work more because you lose track of time in in a way because of how things are, or the other way around? Especially in the first few months, was it difficult for you for to concentrate to focus on work? Uh, I do work more. However, not all the work I do is for the Usagi uh, stories mm-hmm. um, because yeah. there's so much uh, we're doing now with the um, uh, Usagi animated uh, TV show or Netflix show. Um, we have the, I'm also working with two publishers, uh, Dark Horse still publishes Asagi, Fanographics still publishes Asagi, and IDW is a current uh, publisher of news stories here in the U.S. And they're all coming out with new editions of uh, my book. I'm also working with licensees, um, and um, we're working about new projects and new uh, merchandise for Usagi. And I'm also talking to other publishers uh, for work in besides Usagi. Mm-hmm. So I've been busier than ever, or but but not everything is concentrated on Usagi. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the day, is there moments where you are when you get tired of Usagi and you need to, you know what, I'm going to do something else, even, even if it's for just one day or a week, I just need to get away from those big years and say, I'm going to do something else. You know, that is a great thing about having a creator-owned book because I set the, uh, this production schedule, such as I told my editor, Bobby, Bobby Kernel at IDW, that after I finish this story I'm working on currently, I'm going to take a little time off to work on other things because um, I'm falling a little behind on the soggy, but I have put other things on the side that it really needs to be taken care of. And it's not necessarily comic book business, but it's uh, other businesses that mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're involved in. Of all, the, uh, of all the possibilities you have, you know, to have an artistic career, Mm-hmm. Uh, why comics? Aside of the masochistic, masochistic side we all have for being involved in this crazy business, but why comics and not, not you know something else? Oh, I grew up reading comics. Comics taught me how to read, and I've always kept my little comics. And with comics, especially creator-owned series like Usagi, 
I get to do everything. I get when I feel like writing, I'll write a story. When inspiration uh, gets to me, I know, I'll write a story. Other than that, I'll do artwork, or I can do lettering, or I can work on something completely different. Mm-hmm. And comics is great. Uh, it's like working in a movie, except I'm the writer, I'm the director, I'm the producer, I'm everything. And I can change my hats whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect. I, I love what I do. I'm very blessed to be able to uh, be in a position I'm in to work in comics and to have a creator own series. So for me, that's the ideal situation. That's being, being, you know, like you are a one man army or a one man <laughs> or a one man orchestra, if you want, if you kind of say, if you want to say it because you do all the parts of, of the mm-hmm. job. But is there any way that makes you feel constrained when we talk about other media? I mean, for example, as you said, the you know the Usagi Netflix show or something like that where you don't control all the sites does does that feel strange or or in a way is the, it feels like you know what I can let go for once <laughs> let them just do their thing you know I can let go on that because Usagi has been animated before like with the Ninja Turtle TV series he appeared I think in about, in about uh, four seasons of four incarnations of the Ninja Turtles or three or four and uh, you know. I always maintain creative control over Usagi. So mm-hmm. I approve everything. I approve the concept. I approve uh, the scripts, the uh, designs. Right now, I am approving animatics for uh, the current uh, series. And, uh, you know, I do have that control. However, I'm not as interested in being hands-on. Mm-hmm with the uh, animated show as I am with uh, my stories, comic book stories, just because, um, first of all, there are so many other people much more qualified and better at it than I am. And I'm completely out of my element in animation. However, I know enough that I can make suggestions. I can say, oh, let's cut the scene. It's raining a little long. Or, um, you know, I approve all the character designs, all the props and everything. So I do have a hands-on approach to the animation. However, like I said, I I can set that just because there's so many other people much, much more qualified than I am. And I'm really impressed with uh, how it's coming along. The, the stories are great. The designs are just incredible. And the animation is just wonderful. But we still don't know the dates, right? They still have an announcement. <laughs> Netflix is uh, pretty... They're not very um, good at announcing things way in advance. So um, we know it's working. we're working on it and it's going to be shown. But whether it's going to be shown later this year or early 2022, uh, they still haven't told us yet. Okay, let's... Let's hope it's soon. We just we can just has a lot of properties right now in development. Like they've got Jeff Smith's bone, and, and that's something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that, those are two things that probably the two things that I'm more interested in, in, in seeing <laughs> from Netflix this year. Let's let me let me be, be completely honest. Um, what are the tools of the trade for you? You know, have you moved in any way to digital, or you are still? I hate the word, but you know traditional and working paper, you know, with the old tools. I'm very traditional 
everything goes to uh, the traditional process. Um, actually, let me. This is um, the book that I do my uh, stories in. Basically, uh, I do all my writing in longhand. This is a uh, some Usagi uh, and Usagi script, and I write it on longhand. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, about a dozen of these books, all filled with. Uh, how, how many? How many do you have at home around? You know, how many notebooks or sketchbooks oh, do you have around? Just for can you, can you count them, or you don't even know how many? <laughs> I don't know because I started doing these within the last ten years, and I've already got more than a dozen, and mm-hmm. they're all full of stories. From here, I go to the, uh, again, it's very traditional. It's uh, my um, thumbnails, or, yeah. And each one of these rectangles represents one page of Asagi art. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, um, it's still very traditional. I write the script, the, the final script, on the sides of each of the uh, panel breakdowns. Nice. And from here, it goes to, uh, again, doing the, this is a page I'm currently working on. It's not finished yet. But uh, this is the page that, or the panel. Uh-huh. That, uh, I can see. Yeah. So you can see how it's one big panel at the top, a smaller one at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's still very, very traditional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, but then, then it gets to digital. Once the pages are finished, oh, here's a completed page. This, now this page is completed for me. It's, uh, all the details are in. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's ready to be sent to the publisher. And this is where the digital part comes in. I will scan the pages and send the uh, publisher uh, good scans of it. Uh, and then they will send it to the colorist for coloring. Usagi is in color here in the U.S. now. You also uh, do you also you know paint your own covers? How's how how? I do paint the covers. The um, book covers are. Let's see, I do the sketches in here for the uh, book covers, and it's. Uh, let's see, I just finished. Uh, or I'm working on a series called. Tengu Wars, and let's see. These are the cover images, and this one is very rough, but Mm -hmm. uh, can you see it? Yeah. Now, this is very rough, and then I do a few more, and this is the uh, image that I came up with that I finally settled on. Mm-hmm. But I did a few more um, drawings just in case, you know, if I want something else. But then, then it went back to this image. I really like this one. So this is the one that I did. And I still work very traditionally. This is the finished cover. I just finished, uh, completed it uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And this is a sketch for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the only thing I changed is that uh, wolf head in the background, the uh, 
the Guhin Tengu. And you, and, you, and you reversed it, right? I just reversed it. I mm. thought it was better the other way. Yes. And this was done with ink and watercolor and a little bit of color pencils. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That looks amazing. Thank you. And again, I'll, after this, I'll just scan it and send it to the publisher. Mm -hmm. Is there... Okay, let me ask you this. What do you think is the most unique thing about uh, about comics storytelling when we compare it to other uh, narrative art forms, you know, like movies, mm -hmm. uh, similar? What, what is what is what that makes comics unique for you? Well, for me, a lot of my storytelling comes from cinema. I love movies, and there are directors that I follow, and uh, I like the way certain directors develop a character, how certain di other directors stage, stage uh, compose scenes, uh, how they introduce characters. And for me, it's like drawing a movie. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I my approach is to try to be more cinematic than comic book work. Mm -hmm. And um, to have each scene flow or each uh, panel flow one to another as if you're the camera panning or stationary and um, but however it's very static comic books are very static compared to films and so you know we try to compensate for that try, still try to make it exciting and and in the case of Asagi like I said I do everything so I'm the writer, director you know, cinematographer I do everything for Asagi But this yeah, also, hand letter. Yeah, even the lettering is all hand lettered. So it's, mm -hmm. But there's also a side of it, what you mentioned about movies and um, and comics. Uh, there's a reason that I always say that we should teach uh, kids, you know, comics from from primary school, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I think it gives the readers superpowers. Let me explain. Mm -hmm. Let me explain why I say that. We all know. The moment you know Clark Kent does this, we don't need to follow all the steps. The next step right, right. is going to be Superman is already flying. So that we cover what's between the guidance, always. We always yeah. know how to cover it. And that makes us, and let me know if you agree or I'm crazy, I'm probably crazy, but anyway, but you know, is that when we read something, be it in a newspaper, watch a movie, read a novel, or or anything like that, we we as comic readers, we never think about What we what we read as okay that's it. We always look about what's behind, what's mm -hmm. the meaning, what's the second, because we're always being teach to look for what's not there. Right, right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I agree with you. Comic comics should be taught in the classroom. It, uh, you know, like I said, comics gave me my love of reading, mm -hmm. and it taught me to read, gave me imagination. Again, filling in the details, Clark Kent opening up your shirt, you fill in the details, use your imagination, and you know what's going to happen after that. You mm -hmm. continue the story in your mind. And mm -hmm. you don't have to show a super Clark Kent changing to Superman because just that tells you what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Or if Batman, uh, you know, Batman TV series with, uh, uh, what's his name, where they go down the bat pole. Adam, 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 Adam West. You mean Adam it? West, yeah. yeah. It says they go down the bat pole, you know, oh, yeah, they're coming up as Batman because yeah. you can see the details. But for a while, comic books were very much out of favor. People did not read comics. Even kids 
and they had to be taught how to read comics. Now, children's books, graphic novels are the biggest or the fastest growing area of the comic book market here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And now they're getting it. But for a while, comic strips are dying, comic books were, you know, they were saying, oh, it's, there's not going to be comic books in uh, 10 years from now. Yeah. And because kids were not buying it, they did not know how to read a comic. Yeah. But now they're being in the classroom. People are buying them, uh, for the kids, especially in the pandemic. I mean, uh, they're at home. They're reading comics. Either yes. watching TV, playing video games or reading graphic novels. I don't know about the, the well, I know about the U.S., but I'm not as, not as well as I know about Spain, but here the numbers of, uh, the reading numbers have grown exponentially with the pandemic. Yes. And the good thing is that for us, the you know, the lockdown was really strict, but it is from March to um, June, I would say, and mm-hmm. then stopped, you know. We're still, of course, with a mask and being really careful and all that, but it was full lockdown for Spain, you know, that anybody mm-hmm. could, nobody could be in the streets and all that. And the numbers since then, which is the fact that I love, they haven't gone down. You know, mm-hmm. they, it's like people got, you know, they got used to read again, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It's like, oh, you know what? I love it. So now they keep they keep on doing it. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm told that the numbers in the U.S. are going in the same direction, that yes. you know, people is, go, is going back to reading. And as you said, and this is something I need to ask you, is a few years ago, the mantra was, the stupid mantra, in capital letters, the stupid, was kids don't like comics. And my answer was, no, if you build it, you know, like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. It's just that you are not doing the stuff for them. Do you agree that the problem was that people just started not publishing them out of the blue? Mm-hmm. When we all knew, no, that, you just have to do it. Like comics, they did not know about comics. Mm. Uh, when they found out uh, graphic novels, uh, the, uh, Dave Pilkey is probably the best-selling graphic novelist in the U.S., he did uh, Captain Underpants and uh, Dogman and a whole bunch of others. Yeah, Dogman, yeah. Uh, his books are on the uh, bestseller list. Um, well, the last the last Dogman sold more than a million copies. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, they, well, you know, kids love yeah. it. <laughs> but then, uh, the new Asterix books, I mean, the first printing is, what, five million? And they're yeah. already going to a second yeah. printing before the first printing sold out. It's, it's incredible. But then, uh, you know, the children's uh, graphic novel, uh, young adult novel uh, market is the fastest growing in the U.S. And, you know, it, it's, it's terrific because it grooms a younger reader mm-hmm. to go on and continue reading. Yes, yes. I'm loving that, you know, uh, Dogman or what Raina Tegelmeyer do, including yourself, yourself, your work on Usagi and others, and, and the young adult comics that are created now, are filling that gap, you know. Before yes. we could have something for chi- for children, then you have a big gap in the middle where you mm-hmm. could like superheroes or not. And then until you got, you know, to the Dark Horse, the Vertigo, the, you know, all the fantagraphic stuff. But you have such a, a big ma- amount of years in the middle mm-hmm. that you lost with us. But now, where do you think the the, the publishers are finally <laughs> getting in to cover those gaps for female readership? You know. Teenage readers that, that, what, yes, that we don't yes. lose them on the way and we can keep them reading comics from being kids to being to the adult mm-hmm. age? There's a lot more diversity now in comics. There are books uh, for younger readers, for uh, older readers, for 
uh, women, for men, for superheroes. There's a slice of life, but you know, daily stories. There's fantasy. There's everything right now. Uh, when I was growing up, it was primarily just superheroes. Mm-hmm. But now there's something. If you look for it, you know, there's something for you. That's the, and that's the most amazing thing for a market to be healthy and survive, right? <laughs> well, and that line, my wife uh, Julie and I yeah. uh, just finished the artwork for a uh, younger reader story called Chibi Usagi and mm-hmm. Attack of Ibi Chibis, and it's an original graphic novel that is uh, being published here in the U.S. I think in June or July, mm-hmm. just in time for the. San Diego Comic Con online. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a wonderful story. Uh, she's a very talented artist and we collaborate on the story, uh, and the artwork. And, uh, her daughter Emmy is doing the coloring. So it's mm-hmm. a family effort. Uh, her son Danny is handles the Usagi licensing and merchandising. Mm-hmm. And he put the deal together with, uh, with IDW Publishing. And I think it's already been, Optioned uh, for the Spanish publications mm-hmm. by Planeta. Oh, so Planeta. Uh, I hope, yeah, you know, it's the, if we have the manga convention by the end of October, beginning of November, knowing them, they will publish it there. So I hope so. My finger. So who it's actually not, manga? It's uh, just. I know it's, it's not. I know it's not. But I know. I know it's not. But I know them, and I know yeah. where, where you know when they put it. And Usagi for them, they always try to put it out. You know. On that, either in the May in the May convention, the big Barcelona convention, yeah. we are not going to have the May one, and the book is going to be released in June. So the logical next step is hoping that we have the other big convention in Barcelona, which is the manga one. Yes, yes, so, yes. So, so let's let's cross our fingers for if that happens in November, it will be a really good sign about the pandemic. Well, so in November they're planning a small San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But they are, they are having it in Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend. But then there have been other conventions during Thanksgiving weekend that have been very successful. Okay. You're tempting me. I was, I was, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go to New York Comic Con if they do it this year. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, being in the Javits. Oh, you know, yeah. Doesn't feel like, it's like, okay, the Javits was some work. The Javits has been, you know, a hospital. It's a really close space where you normally can't breathe. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to want to be there this year. But San Diego <laughs> November was tempting me, but I was afraid nobody would be there, you know, because it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to travel for 18 hours from Spain to be in a place where nobody's going. So if you say people are going to be there, you're tempting me, my friend. You're tempting me. <laughs> so who was in charge of this of this chibi? Of this? It was Julia, it was you, or it was uh, both well, of you in a way? Does chibi on drawings? Mm-hmm. And if you look at actually uh, the stansakai.com um, site, there's some of Julie's artwork on there, and she's wonderful. She was drawing way before we got married. She had her own line of um, T-shirts and rubber stamps and, uh, you know, merchandising in the cheese style. And it was just a natural fit to uh, collaborate. And so it's a really fun story. It's one that I'm really proud of, and I think she is too. I need need to see this. I need to see this. It's probably going to look amazing. Uh, Let me see. I have some people asking here. Hi from Amsterdam, Heng Lie on Facebook for the Great Master. Heng Comics sold his original stock copy of Albedo issue two. He he bought back in 1984 a few months ago. We were sad to see it go. 
<laughs> from Amsterdam. Then let me see on Facebook. You saw me on first appeared in El Beetle 2 in 1984, and it's a very it's a high price collectible right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then good good for you, Hank. I guess you got you got good money for it. Uh, let me see. Mr. Sakai, such an honor. Usagi was the first comic that had an impact on me. Thanks a lot for your work. Can't wait for the TV show. Uh, Loreto Gestoso, love Usagi, the storytelling, the, art, the historical framework. Thank you for your art, Mr. Sakai. Oh, uh, thank you. Log from Howard. Hi, Mr. Sakai. Very nice to see you and meet you. Eta Garcia, big, big, uh, big hello from Mexico to the Master Sakai. Pedro uh, Mercader asks you: Is it, it is clear the Kurosawa flicks and samurai manga movie have inspired you? But what other things inspired you for the creation of Usagi? Well, the big inspiration was the book Musashi by Eiji Yoshikawa, and um, it's the Inagaki, the director, uh, did the uh, three-part movie with Mifuni Toshida Mifuni called the Samurai Trilogy, mm -hmm. and I saw that when I was a child and it always stuck with me and i when i wanted to do a comic book series i wanted to do one inspired by the life of musashi mm -hmm. and so that was a big inspiration uh, that book and that those movies and the movies have been redone a number of times uh like uh, maybe a hundred times or so and um, each one has a different interpretation and my mm -hmm. It's not a Musashi per se, but it was inspired. That was his catalyst. That was an inspiration for my Usagi. Mm -hmm. That should have been maybe the great actor. Yes. The, the, I could say non-Americans, not any other Americans around. Okay, they're probably the best actor ever. Yeah. I'm not, nobody's listening now, so I can stop. <laughs> like I said, I do follow directors, and there are certain directors I follow for... Um, James Cameron, I like the way he introduces characters. Yeah. Or the same with uh, James Walsh, uh, who did Frankenstein, who mm -hmm. he first introduced the, to the Frankenstein monster. Or uh, Taika, Taika Waititi. I mm -hmm. mean, I love his work, his humor, the, his uh, action sequences. Uh, Hitchcock was a great director for suspense. Um, there's mm -hmm. so many directors. I follow directors more than actors, actually. So... And what what would be the director that you would say introduces worlds better? Hmm. Right now, the current director is uh, I said Taika. <laughs> okay, his <laughs> work. I mean, Jojo Rabbit is it's terrific. It's funny. It's you know tragic. It's it's you know and what he did for Ragnarok that pretty much turned uh, the Thor or the entire Marvel universe into yeah. a different direction and made it a big success. That I can imagine that. Kevin Feige saying, okay, you know, the first two more Thor movies are crap. Yeah. We don't know what to, we don't know what to do with it. Taika, yeah. just do whatever you want. <laughs> like, what? Okay. what? I can do whatever I want? Yes, you can. And the guy did it. And then I can imagine the Marvel guys were like, wait, did he approve, did, did he, did he approve <laughs> this? <laughs> yeah, well, we have to do it now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and historical is historical. I mean, an all-time director that you think, because I always think about you introducing worlds, you know, with the Saji mm -hmm. and what you do. So what do you think about the all-time director that you think was, is the epitome of introducing worlds 
that introducing worlds. Well, there's also Aos Kurosawa. Yeah. Just because, you know, for me, he's like the epitome. And I love one technique that I try to use that uh, Kurosawa uses is there's always movement in his uh, frames. Even if someone's just standing there, there's yeah. a lot of movement. The wind's blowing, there's uh, the grass, below, uh, you know, bending the leaves. And it's just phenomenal. I love watching uh, Kurosawa's, uh, the way he thinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, one thing um, uh, we had mentioned directors is that uh, for the Netflix series, James Wan's Atomic Monster uh, is one of the producers. James uh, did the Aquaman yeah. movie as well as um, the Saw series and a few others. So it's, it's really, really neat to be working with someone of his caliber. That's amazing, and he's a really talented guy, I would say, a really talented guy. But yeah, as you said, the Kurosawa thing, what you just mentioned, is, is amazing because that's like real life. You know, in other cases, in other directors, it's, people is still and nothing is happening around, and I always think that's not how the world works. You know, there's always something around. There's not like you're there and the, and the world stops around you. And yeah. I remember from a really young, young age, when I think, I think it was Seven Samurai, or mm-hmm. one of the first, you know, one of the first uh, Kurosawa movies I, I watched with my older brothers because I'm the last of five, and I kept thinking that's the like that's like the real world. Things happening around. It's not yeah. like the world stops for you because it's important that that actor does the thing. It's not. No, the, mm-hmm. the you know the wind is going to blow. There's something is going to move your you know your yeah, clothes. Exactly. Uh, something is going to happen around you. And Kurosawa, and deals with, Kurosawa deals with characters, each rather than. Um, big explosions of special effects. It's always about centers around people, around yeah. the characters, how he, he it develops and uh, his little idiosyncrasies and you know everything. So I love that. I try to make Usagi a character-driven story mm-hmm. rather than uh, you know, events or special effects or something. Yeah. Do you do you have a, a movie of Urosawa uh, that it's your go-to every time you need inspiration, or, for, or it's too difficult for you to pick, and it's just a bit, a bit of everything. Uh, my favorite is still Seven Samurai, but uh, you know, Yojimbo is also yeah. with Toshiro Mepon in there. I thought that was his best performance. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably Seven Samurai is probably my favorite of his movies. We share, we share one thing. <laughs> now, Yojimbo, and we agree with both. I probably repeat, I can repeat Seven Samurai and the American version, by the way, both. I can see both, you know, like 20 times a year. And, oh, yeah. But Yojimbo, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's his best, uh, best Toshiro Mifune. And I remember when I met Toshiro Mifune as a kid watching Sogo, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the James Clavel adaptation. Like, oh, this guy's good. And then a couple of years later, I was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I watched him again, much younger on the, you know, oh. some movies, and I was like, wait, that's the same guy. You know, like, okay, I have to watch all his movies. So I watched all his movies without relating them because I was a kid to Kurosawa, and then oh. I discovered the director, which make it. I, I, I met uh, Metuni as well mm-hmm. uh, when he would came to LA. He was the uh, grand marshal of the um, Japanese uh, Nisei Week parade, mm-hmm. so I got to meet him. And actually, uh, I had mentioned Sergio Aragonés earlier. And Sergio's father was a producer mm-hmm. in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew Mefoni when Mefoni used to do Mexican roles. 
And uh, yeah, Sergio said, yeah, Bigfoot needs wait, to come. Wait, 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 Sergio, my old friend Sergio, my amigo Sergio, yeah. he's never told me that. I'm going to kill him. Oh, yeah. Bigfoot <laughs> used to go, uh, go over to his house for uh, Sergio's mom. He used to make a paella. Yeah, Sergio, so, from, Sergio is exactly from that area of Spain. Yeah. You know, his family from Castellón, which is the Valencia, the Valencia area where they do the real good paella. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to kill him. I've been to Spain about five or six times. And, oh, I, I love it there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen him since San Diego three years ago. Oh. Sergio, I mean. And yeah. before that, he used to come to Spain. We used to invite him, you know, to at least one or two cons. Mm-hmm. Every two, three years. Every time he was like, he's like permanently invited. You yes. know, like Garcia Lopez or any others. We just say, guys, whenever you want to come, you just say it, <laughs> you know, because you, you're, you know, you're from here, you're from the country, and people love to see you. But I come from, so at the moment he says, you know, I want to go back, you know, he's sending me a line. It's like, hey, when can I come? Okay, let me find you a con. Even uh-huh. if he's not one of mine, you know, it's like, hey, you know, Sergio wants to come back. Let's find him a con for him to come, to give him an excuse to go back home. That's yeah. the real thing. <laughs> I, I really enjoy traveling with, with Sergio. We've been all around the world together. Right? Oh, we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to make it happen for you guys at the same time. You know, this. We'll, yeah, we'll... I met him because I found his name in the phone book. I had moved to California from, uh, from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I just on a web, I looked through the telephone book and hey, Sergio's name isn't here. So I sent him a letter and he called me up and we got together and we've been friends ever since. That was about 40, 45 years ago. And so yeah, we've been friends ever since. That's amazing. It's, it's one of the, you two, but both, both of you are two of the most genuine and amazing people I know. <laughs> like, uh, and, and sometimes with Sergio, I can, you know, start talking and five minutes later, you know, my belly is just, just Hurting because of how much I'm laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I work with them. Uh, I led a group, um, Grew the Wanderer in the U.S., uh, mm-hmm. the English language version. So we, we work closely together and we travel a lot. And so a lot of the, my techniques, my work techniques are, uh, I learned from him mm-hmm. about how to, um, do the, the outlines, how he does the thumbnail drawings for the uh, break, panel breakdowns. And so I have learned a lot from him. Even his uh, inking techniques, I, mm-hmm. I watched him ink with a pen and I you know, adapted a lot to, uh, from him. So mm-hmm. I, 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 he's, he's the maestro. I mean, he's. Pedro Mercader asks you if you had the chance to create another crossover with Usagi, which character would you pick? Oh, you know, we've talked about a few things. Uh, actually, Serge and I broke down. A, he has an, he had another character called Cat Nippon, which is mm-hmm. a somewhat like Cat. And so we, we actually plotted out a four or six issue crossover stories. But, but then this was like 25 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, we've both been too busy to do anything. But um, Usagi and Ninja Turtles have crossed over many times, and that's someone I, uh, a group that, you know, gels well together, they go well together. So um, I'd love to do another Ninja Turtle crossover. And they're 
a few other things, uh, mostly with the creator own series. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. That's that's what would make more sense. Have you and Sergio ever talked about doing a? Uh, I guess that question has been asked a million times, but uh, to, uh, to do something with Gru and Usagi now? I mean, like we're working on a poster right now, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully that will be out in time for San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. But uh, aside from special drawings like that, uh, no long-term projects because Sergio just recently started doing crossovers with other characters like yeah. with uh, Dark Horse. He did the Conan, uh, Gru Meets Conan. Uh, we did a Gru Meets Tarzan that has mm-hmm. not been published yet, but it's completely finished. And uh, But uh, he had, for the longest time, he had a rule. Gru, Gru does not crossover with any other uh, series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you're special, you know. <laughs> so if it happens, it has to happen with you. But anyway, the poster thing, that, that's good to know. I'm, I'm really glad. Ramon Rivas, Sky from Barcelona, will there be a Q&A? Can we throw questions to be answered? So, well, as you can see, Ramon here. Yes, he's free willing. You just throw the questions and yeah. I'll go with it. You know, it's I, more important that you guys than I speak. So mm, just throw throw the questions and I'll just, uh, and I'll just, and I'll just tell them to, uh, to stand, please. Love from Howard. How did you... How did the first fight, he says fight, the, I think the encounter between the Ninja Turtles and Usagi Jojimbo took place? How did you guys decide to do that? <laughs> well, Usagi and the Ninja Turtles started off almost at the same time uh, in 1984. I think the Turtles were created in May or June, and Usagi was first published in October, November. So, but both in 1984. And at that time, there were very few black and white comic books. And so, uh, we became friends, even though they lived on the East Coast. Kevin and Peter lived on the East Coast and I lived on the West Coast. We started corresponding, writing each other letters. And, uh, actually, in the very first letter I wrote to them, I did a little drawing of Usagi and the Ninja Turtles. And they published it. And that really upset me because if I had known they were going to be published, I would have done a better drawing. <laughs> <laughs> In friends. And it was at a San Diego Comic Con that I was sitting with uh, Peter Laird and Peter, and they had their TV series and, you know, their merchandise line. And Peter just said, would you like a new Saigi toy? Let's put a Saigi as part of the Ninja Turtles. And I said, yeah, sure. And so that's how basically it started. Mm-hmm. And later on, when they had the four kids, uh, oh, the Fox Kids uh, series, uh, four kids, uh, Peter called me up and said, oh, you want to do it again? Let's do it. And so we saw he got another uh, action figure. Nice. And, uh, with the last, not the current incarnation, but the, the Nickelodeon series. Uh, Nickelodeon called it Usagi. And the turtles got along so well. People have been asking, when's Usagi coming back? Mm-hmm. So Usagi was a part of that series as well. Nice, nice, the nice. three-part series. I, I, I love that one, the three-part. And mm-hmm. I had a hand writing the first episode, so that was really special. So even better. Reto Gestoso asks, the Usagi inking is mental. So good. Any advice to, for, to perform good inking jobs? For what? For inking? Yeah. Any advice oh. for inking? Actually, this is a pen I use. And it's a fountain pen, and it has a nice 
flexible tip to it so you can get a nice mm-hmm. thin and thick line. However, they stopped making this about 12, 30 years ago. And this is, uh, I think it's a Koinor art pen. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they stopped making this about 30 years ago. But when I heard they're going to stop that, I drove all around Los Angeles to all the art stores, all the stationery stores, and bought as many as I could. <laughs> so I have another, maybe another 25-year supply. So, And I just fill it up with my own ink here. I use a... One thing that's been frustrating is that the ink companies keep... Uh, changing the formula. So it's been hard to get a good quality ink that uh, to use that, that flows through fountain pens. Mm-hmm. So right now I use a Japanese ink called Platinum Carbon Black. And uh, they just started selling this in the U.S. I used to order it from Japan, but uh, they just started uh, selling it here. So mm-hmm. that's the ink I use. Uh, I don't think there's a ink called FW before they changed the formula. And I remember I was going to buy 40 bottles from a, a dealer, you know, um, on the internet. And I called Sergio and said, oh, which I'm buying a lot of ink. Would you like me to uh, buy some ink for you? And he said, oh, no, no, I just uh, I just uh, called the manufacturer and I ordered a gallon of ink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good way to cover his basis. <laughs> Uh, why, the, why did you decide on changing publishers and why did you decide it was time to have Usagi Publishing Color? Well, first of all, uh, when Usagi first came out, there were a lot of black and white comics. Uh, or com- black and white comics were more acceptable because of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, let's see, they had ElfQuest, Grendel, uh, um, and a few others, uh, Service. But now, how many black and white comics are there? In the U.S., there's no black and white comics. Even Walking Dead, which used to be black and white, uh, it's not around anymore. So Usagi had to go to color. And IDW, uh, in talking with them, they said, we'll publish Usagi in color. Not only that, but we'll publish all the backstories in color as well. So that was a big incentive. Wow, no, that's well. That's 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 as you said. That's what they're doing with the Walking Dead, right? They're Walking Dead. They're republishing. They're recovering all the all the issues yeah. and republishing issue by issue. So that's yeah. but that's yeah. that's really big for you, right? And I got about I mean about six thousand five hundred pages of story by now or something. So it's it's a big amount. I, I, I thought that was a lot of pages, but then when I went to Japan, uh, I was a guest of Osamu Tezuka Studios. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, over his lifetime, it's like uh, Osamu Tezuka drew 150,000 pages of, of stories. So it's like... But but how, how many did he draw? How many did his assistants do? Or him and oh, his assistants? I don't know about that. So yeah. No, because I mean, I'm saying you did you do the, all the work yourself. But considering the way they, know they work in Japan, he probably had a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, lot Almost of all the work myself. Mm-hmm. I don't like erasing. Ah. <laughs> so I used to hire my children. I gave them $1 a page if they would erase my, my pages for me. 
And but now, uh, when I'm done with the pages, uh, my wife Julie sometimes erases for me. But I feel bad because uh, you know, here's one of my pages. That's one you saw. Mm-hmm. So they have to erase pages for me. But uh, I feel bad because Julie has so much work on her own that you know. So I find it. <laughs> that's the uh, part of the, the process that I pick, I enjoy the least. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I don't like racing. Mm-hmm. Ramon Rivas says, I would like to see more of Sasuke, the Demon Queller, Origins of Sasuke, for instance. Oh, um, yes. Will we will we see more from Ishida now that we know he's a Kiwistani? Well, uh, Ishida, not for a while. I just introduced a new character to Usagi, um, actually in this issue called, uh, here he is, uh, let's see, I can see it. Yeah. Yes, yes, I can see it. Yeah. It's a new character. It's a young samurai and, uh, he'll travel with Usagi for a while, but, uh, uh, let's see his, Story won't come out to about this summer in the U.S. and I mm-hmm. don't know when it'll be in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ramon also asked, "What about Kay or Jay, or or you consider it a burn character?" Jay is is always around, and the thing with Usagi is that it's he travels, and I. In my mind, I have an idea of where he is in in, in Japan, in, in the country of Japan. And I know where other characters are, like uh, Tomoe is over down in Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Right now, Usagi is up in uh, northern Honshu, in the Sendai uh, province. So how to meet other characters, like uh, I, I know where certain characters are at certain times. So having them meet is sometimes not uh, very convenient, such as uh, Inspector Shida is stationed in uh, Kyoto. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, it will it'll be a while before Saga makes his way down to Kyoto. Yeah, and, it, and it's a matter of consistency, of consistency too, right? You can just meet a character because you feel like it. If you have a map saying yeah. he or she is here or here, You know, I, I just want them to meet, like, no, because they're in two points of the country, right? Exactly, exactly. And I try to be as consistent as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to uh, Sergio and Jeff Smith about consistency and doing research. And, and Jeff, uh, I think it was Jeff that uh, or Sergio that kept track of the phases of the, mo- of the moon and how it changes to each It makes sense. And I think it was Jeff said, oh, I know not only that, but I also make sure that the stars are, just, are in the right positions. <laughs> considering <laughs> considering the, 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 the book he did, you know, after, after uh, he finished Bone, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that's, that's, that's a lot of, that's, yeah. Yeah, Russell, you know, that's a lot. That, that makes a lot of sense with Jeff. <laughs> uh, Lorito Gestoso asks, Mr. Sakai, do you make every usage with a number of pages set from the beginning or do you adjust the number of pages depending on the story? Thank you. Uh, both, because each part, Usagi first comes out as a regular comic book here in the U.S. 
and each comic has uh, 24 pages. Mm -hmm. So I have to do uh, work in 24 page chapters with 24 page stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can make the uh, story as long as I want if it breaks down to 24 page chapters. Like uh, The Hidden, which was my last really big uh, storyline, seven issues. And each one was a 24 page uh, segment. Once in a while, I can get rid of, I, I mean, I can get away with extending it to making it 25 pages or, uh, for one of the stories, I even went as far as, uh, making it 28 pages. I don't get paid for those extra pages. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it costs, uh, the publisher extra money because they have to you know, pay for coloring and they lose, uh, ad revenues and that type of thing. So, mm -hmm. Uh, but basically, you know, I can work uh, as long as I like. I can make 10 chapters, uh, 10 chapter stories, but each one would be in 24 page increments. And the other way around, right? Because sometimes I feel, correct me if I'm wrong, that you just need a, a breather. So you just go with shorter stories to get Short them out of your stories, system. But still, I'm responsible for 24 pages each month or whenever the comic book comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, if not one long story that can be divided to shorter stories or something, mm -hmm. but okay. contractually I have to do 24 pages. No, no, but I, but I, but I mean that uh, of course inside the 20 page, 24 mm -hmm. page format, I mean that sometimes you just want to tell short stories that happen oh, in one issue, right? Because you just exactly. need a breather. It's like, I don't want to tell long stories. I just want to tell one offs, right? Yeah, exactly. And I have done stories of, Without Usagi at all, I've done Inspector Shida stories, uh, Tomoe stories, and Gen stories, but uh, you know most of my emphasis is on Usagi. I, and the thing is, I'm in a great position because I can turn in anything I want, <laughs> and I don't, it doesn't have to be Usagi stories. I can do uh, like a, if I feel like, oh, maybe I'll just do it. Stupid dinosaur story. I can I can turn that and maybe Usagi fighting dinosaurs for no reason at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know they'll publish it. Marcelo Ramos asks, oh Manuel Colorado says it's a shame there's no subtitles. I'm sorry that I'm oh. not a machine. I can do subtitles in real time. But I think that the first of all the YouTube thing, when this is over in like 12 to 24 hours, they have the subtitles. And I think that in the Facebook version, they have uh, real-time subtitles. So if you are looking on YouTube, go to Facebook and you'll find it there, probably with real-time subtitles. But, you know, I can't be typing the subtitles while I'm speaking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not Superman. I can't do that. Um, Marcelo Ramos says, Mr. Sakai, plenty of people really really want to collect to sizing hardcover editions, but the print runs are so, are so low. They are really, really very hard to find. Any reason why you are reluctant to re-release all volumes? Uh, we were doing uh, all the hardcovers. Uh, they were never reprinted, and the reason for that is that they were sold as this is the only time that it will be a limited edition signed hardcover. And uh, contractually, we can't uh, really reprint them. Mm -hmm. uh, with a, We did a new hardcover for the uh, Saga 1 reprint, but it was a second edition. 
and we only printed enough so that uh, it'll have the same amount of books as the uh, subsequent printings. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is something. Uh, it's very difficult. And for a while, we were printing hardcovers, but they weren't selling. And it's very expensive to do the hardcovers. Uh, unfortunately, for the series, I don't think there are going to be hardcovers for all the um, all the books. Mm-hmm. And I just found out about it recently, and I'm kind of disappointed about that. But uh, you know, it's a marketing strategy. And it's, mm-hmm. Well, by the, by the, the end of the day, it has to make money for everybody, right? And if, yeah, if, if it's not working, better to focus on what's working. I guess that's... that's like I said, it goes up and down. For a while, we weren't... Hardcovers were not selling at all. And now suddenly, with Usagi being very high profile because of the Netflix series and other, other factors, um, suddenly Usagi's in great demand and the hardcovers are being... I mean, they're saving out even before they hit the stands. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> you see, that, that's a good thing. And the moment they release this series, whenever, whenever that is, then the However, moment... I wish, you know, I do wish uh, they had more because, you know, financially, <laughs> it makes more money for us, for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, let me see... I think there was uh, one of the, it was one of the very Ramon Rivas says one of the very early Usagi Jimbo's Lord Kikiji was depicted as human, the only one. Why? Uh, well, making uh, him human was just a mistake. No, it was not a mistake. Usagi was supposed to be a secondary character in the Nielsen Ground Thumper storyline, and the Nielsen Ground Thumper was another uh, character of mine. Uh, he's a rabbit that takes place in Europe at the same time. And that story was going to be an epic. It told the story of why there are intelligent animals, such as Asagi, uh, why there are regular animals, such as you know, horses and just horses. And it tells about the rise of the human, how the, uh, and so Usagi was going, well, um, Lord Hikiji was going to be the main human villain. Mm-hmm. And when I first uh, showed him like that, that was a very early Usagi story. And at that time, I still had plans to do that actual story. But uh, after a while, Nielsen Ground Thumper kind of uh, fell away. I, I haven't worked on the Nielsen story for years now, mm-hmm. whereas most of my concentration has been on Usagi. So. But I'm still reluctant to change that. <laughs> I can always put ears, you know, funny ears on the on drying up Lloyd Kiji that I did, but I still kind of want to leave it as is. Mm-hmm. Because that was a product of his time and the idea you had that, you had then, right? Why, why change it? I guess yeah. it was, it was, there was a reason to do it, I mean. Um, why, if I ask you, you know, what's the genre in, to tell a story, I mean, that you, don't feel like doing ever in your life, you know, like somebody offers you to tell, to do one kind of genre story, and you say like, no, that I, would, I am not interested. What good, what good it be? Oh. No, I'm pretty much open for anything right now, or for discussions. Mm-hmm. <coughs> <coughs> 
and the other and the other way around, which is what is the genre that you think nobody could uh, think that you would love to do, but you're itching to do it uh, once you have the chance. Oh, I have a loose timeline of Usagi's descendants, and you know, I did one about space society. But there's also uh, I, I love mystery stories, mystery mm -hmm. novels. <laughs> Like who done it? Who's the killer? And I did one story. Um, I plotted it out called Ten Little Critters," based upon the Agatha Christie uh, novel about you know. Uh, and then there were none where everyone's on a deserted island and they're all dying one by one. I I wrote a story about that that I would love to do. I love mysteries like that. Another was a Usagi descendant during the 1930s during the Pope. Didn't, you know, like the shadow, really, that type of thing. I want, I had a Usagi uh, descendant as like a shadow character called Kagino Usagi, the shadow of the rabbit. That, you know, I love to do a pulp story like that. Uh -huh. So by the end of the day, we can consider, or not, but the, I, I, lo I love the concept of having Usagi's descendants add your way to tell different gender stories, you know, like exactly. That's that's some that's amazing. You know, it just gives yeah. you the chance to play in in any field. Mm -hmm. But then I also like the science fiction, the space society, like a Star Wars type of fantasy. That yeah. that's fun because uh, when I did that, it was because I wanted to draw dinosaurs and I love dinosaurs. So I had <laughs> space society go to dinosaur planet in the first uh, first storyline, yeah. and. That's the neat thing about owning your character or owning the rights to your stories that you can do anything. And, uh, or if I want to draw robots or something, I can have a story where Usagi meets robots or, you know, basically anything. Yeah, but that's, that's also amazing. The amazing part of what you said is that you can put him in the background if you just mm -hmm. want to play with other characters yes. and you can just tell the kind of story you want. So that avoids, in a way, that it stops you from getting tired of it, of him, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you can just, you know, you know what? Now I want dinosaurs, so I just walk robots, or I want a space opera, or I want to tell, you know, a period story in the middle of Europe, or whatever. You can just say, this is another character of his family, another descendant, that you mm -hmm. can just say and use it, or ascendant, if you go to the dinosaur. Exactly. And besides the saga, I also did uh, a 47 Ronins. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ronin was talking about that. With uh, Mike Richardson, and that's another genre, um, the historical. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it doing the research, and also I worked with uh, Mike Mike Richardson, and he gave me full scripts, which is uh, it's very rare I get to collaborate with uh, someone. And uh, it was wonderful. I I enjoyed working with Mike on that. Uh, he mm -hmm. gave very detailed scripts. On the other hand. He was also open to my suggestions, mm -hmm. and I, I mentioned things like, "Oh, um, during this time, the shogun was called named the dogs shogun because he had an edict saying that if you anyone hurts any dogs, he'd be punished because he loved dogs so much." Or so I had dogs running around, or um, so oh, instead of hitting the person, if uh, if the villain were to kick him because the Feet was considered very dirty, especially mm -hmm. slippers and things. So that's a huge insult. So let's have him do that. 
and also with uh, Mike, the publisher of Dark Horse Comics, who published the book, he'd say, well, let's see, uh, instead of 24 pages, let's make this, um, this, this part 28 pages. Whereas my editor is like, you can't do that. Yeah, we have to budget it for 24 pages. It's going to cost more. And we're giving it at the same price. It's, and then, but he's the editor, so you know, he can do things like that. <laughs> the last chapter was uh, 32 pages instead of 24 pages. And so, but, you know. He, but the, the, the good part of that, I guess, it was, you know, he was the owner. So you can you could just talk to the editor and say, Talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look yeah, at me. Really yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. That was, that was fun. And the, the, did you feel the itch sometimes to write for somebody else? To just write and I have write? Read for other people. And when I have, uh, that's my scripts are usually uh, in thumbnails like this. So <laughs> uh, it breaks down. Some people, and it's just easiest for me to work like this. Uh, so I did do tell the artist, you're free to change it whichever way you want to. It's for me that it's, it's uh, easiest for me this way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people really appreciate it. I, I don't think they've, uh, any of them have changed the storytelling uh, significantly. So I guess, you know, it's easy for them too this way. And is it gonna is it gonna happen anytime soon that you write for somebody else or do you, or you don't well, see this? It? in the past. Uh, I, do, I these are just short stories. I did one for Shadowhawk, uh, for Image. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I worked with Tom Stacer a, a few times and other, uh, but basically, no, my, I just write for myself. Yeah. And the other way around, you, could you go back to doing like something like 47 running? Somebody is writing for you or you feel like oh, right yeah. now in your career, you feel like I, you need to do some focus on doing everything yourself? No, oh, I'd be happy to work with other people, uh, either on the side or on other projects. And they're like Mark Evanier is a wonderful writer. I'd love to uh, just illustrate one of his stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's very versatile in the fact, in the sense that he adapts his writing to to uh, the artist. Mm-hmm. Either the method, the uh, the way he would do uh, full scripts or very quick outlines, or you know, um, he's like a comedian. He changes whenever he works with a different person, so he mm-hmm. is very adaptable that way. Nice. Um, is there any stories that you've been stopping yourself from doing? And I mean that. You have the story, you have the concept, but you say, I'm not ready yet. Has, has it ever happened to you that you put it aside and say, it'll come back, but I'm not ready yet to tell the story? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm working on the Tengu War story. Mm-hmm. I thought of about it uh, about 15 years ago, and I talked about it back then. So, oh, I'm going to do a thing called the Tengu Wars. And uh, another thing I've been talking about for, I guess, 15 years, uh, but it probably won't be finished for another 10 years, is Tomoe's wedding. Mm-hmm. It has an arranged wedding. And <clears throat> I'm still doing research on how marriages were arranged back then uh, mm-hmm. with the go-between, the, uh, the very formal presenting of gifts to one family to the other. And, and this goes especially for the 
higher ranking, uh, uh, you know, vassals of the Lord. And it's very traditional, very formal, and it's uh, mainly political rather than uh, because of love or anything. So I'm still working on doing research for that, but it'll be a while before it actually gets uh, gets told. Mm-hmm. Is there... Has it happened any time to you that those characters that you know so much that you've been living with for many years, have they ever imagined this? You know, so story first arc is everything is going well. Second arc, everything is going well. Third arc, then they start saying, "No, this is I couldn't do that. You're wrong. Stop. You have to fix it." No, no. But you are like, "No, I'm the master. I'm the puppet master. You're gonna do what I want." What I want. But the character says. No, no, I'm not. Just change it because I am not going to do it. Has it ever happened to you? I it has, and I've actually changed stories. Uh, I've changed the endings. There are some stories where I would write, uh, I would draw two endings. <clears throat> I would draw two endings, and in one case, uh, this was with my editor Dan Schultz. I just sent both endings to her and just said, pick the one you like better. <laughs> In others, uh, such as the Dua Kitanoji, I did not know until I was drawing it who would be the, the winner of the duel. Mm-hmm. And so when I turned in the original artwork, I told Diana, as soon as you get it, read it and call me. Because I still wasn't sure what, which... Uh, if I made the right decision or not. Mm-hmm. So you knew at the moment you were drawing it, not writing mm-hmm. who would who would win it. That's when I re- really figured out who should win. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. It's because you could expect that knowing the characters as well as you do. Yeah. You could know it from the beginning, but it's they they take charge, right? In a way. Yeah. Exactly. And there have been cases where. I would call my editor and say, did you send it to the printer yet? And if not, don't send it because I have to change change something. And, um, you know, in those cases, uh, it was not because I wanted to change the story itself, but it was because I got, uh, I, mean, I made a mistake culturally. Mm-hmm where something about Japan, history of Japan, Japanese culture was wrong. Um, I remember in the tea ceremony and uh, Chano Yu, it's just an entire tea ceremony from beginning to end. But I made the mistake of Usagi carrying his swords into the tea house. Mm-hmm. And after it, I did some more research and found you never bring your swords into the tea house. Mm-hmm. So I called Diana and said, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't publish it yet. Is it sent to the printer? She said, I'm just about to send it. So don't hold off on it. So I, <laughs> I read through those pages and I sent it. So oh, these are the new pages. Mm-hmm. Is there any time when you, after the, the monthlies, you know, mm-hmm. are published before the collection, you say, do we need to change things? Yes, I had to do it for uh, uh, Usagi played a game of Go. It's a board game. And uh, 
I used to play Go as a, as a child, but what I did not realize is I, it wasn't Go I was playing. It was called Gomoku, mm-hmm. which used the same board and the same game pieces, but the strategies are completely different. And so when I had uh, Usagi say, okay, uh, you know, I won the game of Go, and people wrote in, uh, emailed me as far away as Germany saying, that's not Go, that's Gomoku. So fortunately... <laughs> Uh, like I said, Usagi first comes out as comic books and then gets reprinted in those graphic novels. Yep. I was able to go to the a Go tournament. I bought a book on Go, which the um, website of the Go Masters, uh, American Go Masters Association. And I not, I was not just able to correct that mistake, but the final uh, layout of the game pieces was the same as this famous game between two huge role masters like a hundred years ago. And however, I've also had mistakes that made it to the book. Mm-hmm. So I was not aware of it or until much later. And the one was a really, I should have known better and I didn't know, but uh, Usagi was served a bowl of rice with a chopstick standing up. And that you don't do. It's only done as an offering to for the dead. Mm-hmm. And so, but you know, I, I drew, drew that in, and someone had said, "Oh yeah, when you do that, you that's uh, you know, you only offer to the dead." And I said, "Yeah, I know that." So, but you have it here in this book. So I finally changed that after about the tenth printing. <laughs> well, the new uh, IDW. Uh, Book uh, collection would have the corrections. <laughs> and the other way around, is there anything that you know is wrong, mm-hmm. but you don't change in purpose saying, if I change this, it kills my story? Not literally, but you know what I mean? It, yeah, uh, emotional it wouldn't work if I do it. Yeah, there's there are a lot of things I have wrong, uh, such as uh, Usagi's sandals or Wadachi sandals. It's not, I simplified it a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's because Asagi has stubby little rabbit feet. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's been changed, but that, that's a conscious uh, change on my part. Uh, other, also, the way he holds his swords and things, uh, I did it more com- for convenience and for uh, appearance mm-hmm. rather than strict, uh, uh, you know, adherence to what's proper. So there are a few things that I'm consciously aware of um, that being changed. But but in a way, that's part of telling stories, right? You are not, I mean, you are not telling a historical tale, a real. Mm-hmm. You're telling your story set in a landscape, right. in a historical piece. You try to be as faithful as possible. But sometimes to tell a story, you just have to change bits, right? Exactly. exactly. And Misagi, you know, it's inspired by a, a specific time and a specific place in Japanese history. However, it is a fantasy series. Mm-hmm. So I can get away with, I have a lot more leeway than mm-hmm. if I were to use uh, humans in it. Yeah. Uh, is there, when, when you start a story, when you're thinking about, you know, a concept for a new story, do you come from an emotional point of view? You know, the emotion is what drives you to do that story or is the structure? I mean, the, the story you want to tell takes over and then the emotion gets into the story. What's, what's, what's the main thing for you? Oh, 
I like it to be character driven. Mm-hmm. However, when I inspire you for a story, it comes from inspiration comes from all over. Um, I've gotten inspiration for stories from just a line in a book or just sketching the whole idea for Isagi came from a, uh, just a simple sketch in a book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so inspiration comes from all over, but I try to make all my stories very character driven. Yeah. So you care about, you know, the character. Sometimes I'll build up a character, uh, let you get a lot invested in, oh yeah, I want to see this character and then I'll kill him off or something. <laughs> You know, because that's life. Absolutely. I, I'll develop a character. I'll specifically create a character knowing that 10 years down the line, I'm going to kill that character. And seriously? That, seriously? So, you think, you think that, that I have? Yeah. That, that came about with uh, Inazuma, the swordswoman. And when I created her, it's like, uh, because the spirit of Jay, the dark evil spirit, at first was going to inhabit that little girl that he walks around with, Keiko. But then I thought, oh, but then he's, Jay's a killer. So I can't have this little girl with Jay's spirit you know, going all around the countryside killing people. So I created, uh, Inazuma, who would, who, uh, was taken over by Jay, the spirit of Jay. This is about five years after or something. And, uh, I knew when I created her that she was going to die about 10 years from after I created her. Mm-hmm. Um, does it happen often for you that you, you think uh, so uh, ahead, so ahead about what's going to happen? That's the, I got to the point where I can do that. Mm-hmm. When I first started, it was a matter of what can I do next month? Mm-hmm. But now I'm laying down the groundwork for things that, you know, won't be told for 10, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm right now, such as Grass Cutter, uh, that's probably my most acclaimed mm-hmm. uh, story. And that took about five years to research. And uh, I laid down the groundwork for that entire thing. And or the duo at Kitanoji, which I mentioned earlier, uh, that took a uh, a year in Usagi's time because uh, uh, one person said, oh, have you teach? I'll meet him at this this uh, temple one year from now. So that happened one year in Usagi's time, but it was six years in our time because uh, when I, you know, trying to book and everything, uh, it took me six years to, <laughs> to do that storyline. Is it worth it? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we were talking about the relation between uh, movies and cinema and, and comics before, but in terms of relation with music, when you're working, do you need absolute silence or it depends on the face of the work? You know, sometimes you need quiet to focus and then you, you put on music or podcast or a movie or something in the background, just like as a cacophony, as a noise to keep you working. When I'm writing, I need quiet. I need to be by myself um, or in my mind. That's why I used to love writing on planes when I travel. Because except once in a while you have an interesting person next to you, but for the most part, everyone leaves each other you know, alone. So I'm just there, I'm writing. And for me, that's perfect. I used to do all my writing on, on airplanes. Mm-hmm. 
like when I'm drawing, I need the distraction. If for nothing else, I'll, I'll have a video or a streaming service on, and so I'll be drawing, and every so often I'll look up. I know that there's going to be an explosion or something, and I like to watch old, you know, movies again and again and again. So I'm kind of just drawing. It's just white noise on the side, but I'm drawing. Okay, there's going to be a neat scene coming up, so I'll just watch for a while. Okay, it's back to work. <laughs> And it, do you in any way prepare? It's a distraction. Just the you know noise in the background. Jack Kirby, uh, Scott Shaw told me Jack Kirby used to have the Spanish language uh, television on. Uh, he did not understand a word of Spanish, but it kept him company while he was working. Like a cosmony, right? Yeah, I always say about myself, as I said before, I am the fifth of five. So, of mm -hmm. course, in my parents' house, in the apartment, there was always noise. Always, always. You know, yeah. the quiet didn't, didn't exist. So anytime I am alone, I need noise. Yeah. Because it's not, I think, you know, like Jack Torrance from the signing is going to come behind my back and stab me in the back. You know, like, it's always a weird situation where you you have no noise. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, something weird is happening here. So I need a cacophony. So I guess that for Jack, it was the same, right? It's the, there's mm -hmm. the cacophony, some noise around. To give you yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But when I'm writing, I just need to concentrate. And do you create a, a playlist consciously or unconsciously at all? I mean, imagine that you're, you're going to draw that day an epic scene. It's like, okay, I need whatever. Lord of the Rings or or uh, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, epic move, epic music to uh, to make me company to feel more in the mood. Or it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, I, I just... Usually I would have a video on or something or streaming and it changes. Right now I was watching, uh, I was working yesterday and watching um, Jungle Book, the old one uh, from 1940 with Sabu. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not going to believe this. 30 minutes ago, until 30 minutes ago, before they went to the supermarket, my wife and my six-year-old, they were watching that one, Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I, because yeah. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah I'll, I'll have something on especially I love the old ones and you know because I know what's going to happen so I don't need to sit that's why I can't watch animation or foreign language movies or sports mm -hmm. while I'm working because that you have to concentrate on you have to read the subtitles or you're appreciating the animation or you're watching the uh, basketball game or football game or something But uh, so while I'm drawing, I need something that's exciting, but not too interesting. Yes. <laughs> that you can pick like, oh, yeah, nice. Okay, back. <laughs> um, and if I ask you, continuing with the music, in terms of storytelling, mm -hmm. for you, what, what's, what would be the most similar to comics storytelling? Rock and roll? Symphony bar opera or jazz? I like rock and roll. I grew up with rock. Uh, the Beatles are my favorite, and you know, it's. Yeah. I, it's funny because every time I ask a British person, they, they only have two, two answers it's the Beatles or punk. <laughs> For me, it's the Beatles. Okay, it works. Um, <laughs> we've been at this for like one hour and 23 minutes, so I need, I guess, you need to come back to your life and your family. So a couple more, if you're okay with that, and, uh, and I'll let you go. Okay, just a little more. I think the garden is coming, so he will be blowing his, uh, yeah, uh, his uh, yard. 
So yes, okay. Just the, the moment the moment you need to leave, just say it. Don't worry about it. You, you, you've you've been amazing. So thank you so much. Um, what part of the, what is for you the mo the, the the way you think you portray emotions better? And I think it's going to be a weird. Que- I know it's going to be a weird question, but since you are one of you guys who do both, you know, the, also the art and the lettering, what is the part that you think is more important to so the readers understand? The emotion, the characters, especially faces, or or the lettering. Oh, the faces, the characters. We saw. I mean, comics are pretty much a visual medium. Yes. And the word balloons are supposed to be invisible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, characters, either the body expressions or the facial expressions, mm-hmm. and that should convey the uh, emotions. And uh, have you ever thought about? Uh, of course, you you call you paint the covers as you see. Mm-hmm. Has it ever happened? Uh, have you ever thought about doing a new one, a new side story, painting the whole thing, the whole interiors, or that's not something that you're, you're interested in doing? I have done that. No, I know, I, I know. I mean, I mean if, if you're thinking about doing like that again in the future, again, no, no, <laughs> not, it's, it takes too long. I, I painted Yokai. Um, it was a fully painted watercolor story, and this is for. I think Usagi's 25th anniversary in uh, in the U.S. And my editor at that time, Diana Schultz, said, oh, no, we should do something special. So Carrie Brazzini, my uh, designer, said, let's do a fully painted story. And you know, I told Diana, yeah, okay, that sounds good. I'll, it'll take me uh, six months to do, and uh, sure, I'll turn in in six months. Then she said, you have three months to do it, and you better no. get in by then. I got it in three days ahead of deadline, and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> but don't tell me, that was uh, never again. <laughs> never again, no. I, I just don't have the time for that now. And like I said, everything is done by hand, so it's you know, all watercolors, and um, yeah, it takes a lot of time. The Chibisagi was done by um, Digital. Emmy uh, did the uh, digital colors on it. It looks terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's next for you as a creator? If there's something aside of of, of Usagi that you mm-hmm. that you're doing, and what's next for Usagi? What's the next? What's well, what's going to happen? Usagi, I'm continuing on with the stories and continuing on with the um, approving the Netflix. Uh, series uh both uh and uh usagi is going to be kind of like a teacher or a mentor he's developing uh going to a different phase of his uh, of his uh career now he was always the the student mm-hmm. now he's going to find himself more in the role of a teacher mm-hmm. and so that he has to mature a bit more to uh change a bit more to uh be more of a, a father figure, a guide to uh, to this new character. Mm-hmm. So that that will change for him. Um, is there a non usagi story you're working on right now, or that's something that is not in the future? Non-Usagi? No, not really. Uh, working on another chibi uh, usagi graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's tentatively called Chibi Usagi Goes to the Moon, mm-hmm. and it'll again, deal with uh, Japanese uh, culture and uh, uh, fantasy, and it'll be fun. 
I can't wait for that to come out to get it to my to get it to my six year old to my daughter. She's gonna love it. I'm sure. Anxious to wait. Uh, anxious for our conventions to open again. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um. Last one. Do you know what the last story, what the last Usagi story is gonna be, or you don't plan to tell the last story ever? Uh I have stories like that, but uh, like they have one in which Usagi dies, but it won't be for a while, if ever. But yeah. No, no, uh, I don't mean. I don't mean if if it's gonna happen uh, soon or no. not. I hope, I hope it doesn't. But I mean that if if you if you have if you have it already, if you know what's gonna happen, and not not definitely no. The real Musashi uh, retired to a cave mm-hmm. and you know, uh, wrote and uh, just tried to develop himself spiritually. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Musashi does that, but that's one option for him. So, so, so you know it's gonna happen, but you know you don't know when, and you are not in a rush to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if that happens, then I'm I'm out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my friend. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, David. It's been amazing. I love it. I love you, and I miss you a lot. So, I hope mm-hmm. to see you very soon when this is. I over. hope to return to Barcelona and maybe oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. we'll go yeah. There's a couple of amazing places that I will, I will take you. Believe me, I'm making a note right now. There's a couple of places where they have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Emmy, uh, Emmy and I went to uh, Barcelona. We she signed us up for paella baking class, so we learned how to make paella. So that was fun. Nice. There's a place here that they do all kinds of rices. You know, not oh, only paella, just yeah. you know any kind of rice we do in Spain. And we had the black rice too in uh, in Barcelona. There you go. So the moment you come, I will take you to a place so you can just you know pick. It's like a menu that has see only aside of the drinks, of course, sixteen ways of preparing rice. We do oh, this. Wow. So you can you can sit down and say, I want this one. You know, I have a friend that came from the U.S. that literally was here for seven days and he went there once a day. <laughs> because he wanted to try every different way. And like that's yeah. not really healthy. It's like I don't care. You know, it's like. I'm never going to have the chance again. So, yes, he it. <laughs> so thank you again to all of you. Thank you, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow with us, in fact, is, uh, is uh, Stan's publisher at IDW, <laughs> Mr. Oh, yeah. Mr. Nachi Marsham. So we all say that we've spoken really well, really nice words about Nachi. And Stan said he's his personal God and all that. Okay. <laughs> so all of you take care. Be nice, wear your mask. Remember, we are still not vaccinated. We have to be good to people. Thank you, Afghanistan. Okay, thank you, David. Thank you. And to all of you, we're off in three.